We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome on in. This is the RotoWire Fantasy Football Podcast for Thursday, September 1st. We are going to be diving into roster cutdowns, some winners, some losers, some impactful signings for fantasy from across the league. We're also going to get into a little bit of a best ball review going into the fantasy football pentathlon. Uh, A lot of interesting stuff there, a lot lot of industry minds. So we will be breaking that all down here on this episode of the RotoWire Fantasy Football Podcast. Welcome on in. This is the Roadwire Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, John McKechnie, joined as always by Mario Puig. This podcast presented to you by our friends over at Dynasty Owner. Mario, how are you doing on this Thursday as we finally turn the calendar to September? Well, um, it feels kind of like a relief with the season getting close, of course, because uh, we can finally turn off some so some of the engines in this uh, take machine that we are all trapped in, but uh, of course it'll keep going. But any any depletion of it is is welcomed. But I, I also know from memory that uh, life does not get any easier when the season starts. My relief will turn to terror almost immediately. Uh, so yeah, it's it's quite a slog. Uh, you know, a fourth of the year uh, or more, uh, putting your head down like this. But uh, yeah, gotta. Got to get through it eventually, so might as well uh, dive into the thresher now. Yep, here we are, and and uh, I'm I'm staring right into the abyss right now with with college football getting started oh fully. Uh, I think there's like 20 games uh, on this Thursday night slate, which is uh, a heavy lift. Uh, John, uh, for, can you get the Tennessee Chattanooga guy projection input, please? Uh, can okay. you pull over and do that? <laughs> I'm I'm having an anxiety attack on the pod uh, for. This is a road of wire first, I think. Um, also, uh, might be sounding a little better uh, now this week, hopefully. So, boosting up the sound quality, boosting up the production. Got a micro, got a fancy new microphone here. So, uh, we're, we're we're taking that uh, guy out for a spin. But um, beyond that, why don't we go ahead dive into uh, the the latest uh, from around the league? Why don't we start things out um, in Los Angeles? So, Sony Michelle, noted veteran, gets cut from the Dolphins kind of clearing the deck slightly in Miami. But I mean, that's still a backfield that that's hard to, to make heads and tails of. We, we can get to that in a little bit, but Sony Michelle inks up a deal with the chargers. I think Isaiah Spiller, I know 
for for me, I have like a, a tenth round share of him in the uh, Rotowire Online Championship. So, how anxious should I be about that one? Oh, about as anxious as me, I guess. I'm pretty substantially invested in Spiller too, and uh, and it's crazy. Just like five days ago, I was looking at my Isaiah Spiller and Ronald Jones shares, and I was thinking like. Yeah, even I'm getting nervous about Ronald Jones, but at least Spiller I'm not worried about because with Spiller the panic was about like, oh, Josh Kelly's ahead of him on the depth chart. It's like whatever. If that's the kind of depth chart they're willing to tear up, you know, five plays into a game. If so, it's a, I don't care about Josh Kelly. Sony Michelle I do care about. Uh, it sucks as a Spiller investor because I never thought Spiller was that good. I just thought he was better than Kelly, which he definitely is. But Spiller is not that good, and Michelle not being that good doesn't mean Spiller has any sort of, you know, traction in this situation. I mean, he missed enough practice with that ankle issue that Sony Michelle can probably get caught up to where he is pretty quickly, especially being a veteran who's, who's been around a few different teams, and he kind of knows what it's like to get, you know, parachuted into a roster and have to play pretty quickly. So I have pretty much abandoned all hope for Spiller because I don't think he's good enough to win on merit if if Michelle is there. And I say that as someone who doesn't even think Michelle is particularly good. So what what is like the overall theory when it comes to targeting the, these Chargers, um, you know, secondary running backs but behind Austin Eckler? Is it is it an injury hedge or is it like an expectation more so that um, you know at, they're they're going to take some of the the between the tackles work off of Eckler's plate? Uh, that that type of thing. I mean, what 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 kind of drew you towards Spiller in in the first place, or or you know, it, and now zooming out, just kind of like this number two uh, role in the in the Chargers backfield. Well, part of it was definitely as simple as you know, this Chargers offense is going to score points. So if someone's playing snaps in it, I barely even care who they are. Uh, so Spiller, uh, being a running back, running back, that's particularly true. I mean, if I. I think it's nonsense and basically Pinkerton propaganda that people say running backs don't matter, but there are some cases where they matter less. And there are some situations where uh, the replacement level is, is, you know, pretty uh, high. Is, is that what it is when you can go get anybody and plug them in? But Sonny yes. Michelle is basically a nobody running back. And um, you know, if, if, if he's in a Herbert offense, especially with guys like Keenan Allen and Mike Williams drawing so much attention, He's playing on easy mode there, just you know, like guys like Damian Williams and Spencer Ware with the Chiefs putting up huge numbers. It's kind of something like that. And um, now the problem is like we don't know if he's going to get those snaps. Spiller's case. So in Michelle's case, if he gets the snaps, then the rule applies to him instead. It's just if you're getting if you're getting 400 snaps in the Chargers' offense and you're a running back, you are useful in fantasy almost no matter how bad you are. So yeah, I think. Uh, but but t- specifically though, the way it, sh- it would have worked in my mind was. They want to get Eckler down to more like 10 carries per game than 12 or 15. And that initial slack alone would have gone pretty much entirely to Spiller. Uh, now, pretty much entirely to Michelle. And then the upside angle, of course, is like, well, what if Eckler misses some time? Because if they lose, if Eckler is not able to play at some point, it's not like they have some other guy to just put in for the Eckler function. The, Eck- the Eckler position is gone at that point. They have to replace it with just whatever's laying around, which is to say, guys, you can take some of those touches, um, you know, most or all of those touches, but a lot more of them are going to have to be carries. And that suits Michelle just fine. I mean, we'd, you'd take targets too for, for Spiller and Michelle. That, that'd be great. But as runners is, is where they have to make their living. And it, again, should basically be easy mode in this offense. I mean, uh, I think Justin Jackson is, is a 
surprisingly competent threat from scrimmage. Um, his issue has more to do with volume limitations, but he's still probably no better than average, even from scrimmage. And we saw you plug him in and even he is, you know, so much better than Larry Roundtree and Josh Kelly that he, he put up big numbers whenever they gave him the ball. No, absolutely. So that there's, you know, value within this role. Um, do you have any Sony Michelle yet? And, and, you know, where are you willing to, to jump? It wasn't in? much. I mean, I, I had him in that article. Uh, there was a best ball one from like, my oh God, it's probably already been a couple months, but he was in the list of the 18th round guys to pick. And it was like him and, you know, guys who aren't that exciting, but it was basically like, Hey, the dolphins have to give somebody carries. So, uh, the reason that I had in mind never even ended up applying, but, uh, the result actually is even more favorable. I think like I, I, as a Sony Michelle investor, I'd much rather see him in, with the Chargers than the Dolphins. And I, I understand he can get more realistically a higher off the bat share with the Dolphins. But A, I don't think it's that much more than what he's looking at off the bench with the Chargers. And B, the scaling up scenario, the, the upside scenario doesn't exist with the Dolphins. They will always be in some kind of committee no matter who gets hurt. Whereas with the Chargers, if Eckler misses time, God forbid, it's like they don't have much choice but to just give the next guy, you know, 15 carries and three catches. Yeah. So th- this, uh, this bodes ill for, for Spiller and it, it suddenly makes Sony Michelle an interesting, uh, late round target to, to be sure. He um, is injury prone, I guess is the one yes. thing we can keep him. Like it, it's, especially if you're in like an NFFC kind of thing, it's worth holding on to Spiller because if Michelle tweaks his knee, it's like, all right, we're back to square one. Spiller's right back where he was, where we thought he was. But yeah, if Michelle is upright, yeah, it's, he's yeah. I, I I tend to agree with you on that. Read uh, Julia, uh, MVP listener and viewer of ours, wants to know. So let's go ahead transition over to Miami, where, where Sonny Michelle just got cut from. Of course, um, do you bump up uh, Chase Edmonds at all as a result of this, or are there some other running backs in Miami that that you think might might have some additional value? As a result of this, I'm trying to, I think, target some Raheem Mostert. Not, obviously, not nothing, nothing more than like an RB five type of deal. But um, you know, the the at least run. in best ball, that the speed uh, variable that he brings to the table, I think, is interesting enough to to maybe you know he ends up contributing to your team uh, a couple times this season before invariably uh, he gets dinged up because that that seems to just kind of always be able to be the deal uh, with him, unfortunately, but. Uh, your thoughts on this Miami backfield now that uh, Michelle is subtracted from it. So I don't actually think it's a reason to raise Edmonds. I think Edmonds was going to work at whatever level he was going to anyway. And I think he's, he's, he's got that same cap. Like he can't take on much more. They can't give him the Michelle carries, but that's fine uh, because he should be so busy as a pass catcher that uh, I thought he was underpriced to start with in PPR, maybe half point PPR too he could catch like 70 passes in this offense. Like we know Waddle and Hill are both headed for a hundred or so catches. Uh, but the other players uh, like Gesicki, Cedric Wilson, they're just kind of like rotational situational slot targets or something like that. And uh, it, obviously Waddle and, and Hill will both play in the slot much too. So uh, I can imagine Gesicki, Wilson, whatever other pass catchers doing surprisingly little. And yet with Tua, probably not being a good quarterback he's not going to strike downfield as much as someone obviously like Mahomes would have uh so he's gonna have a lot of the same Mahomes looks the the two high looks because of Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle being so dangerous but 
he's not going to be able to force the ball downfield. So I imagine kind of a scenario like last year with the Chiefs, where you see Daryl Williams in the, in the regular season, and then in the playoffs, Jarek McKinnon catching all these flats passes where there's just no defense for 25 yards. Well, that happens because the defense is worried about those downfield receivers. And Edmonds, unlike uh, unlike Daryl Williams, unlike Jarek McKinnon, is actually a threat from scrimmage and is a legitimately good pass-catching target. So I think Edmonds could catch like 70 passes, and if his price goes up, I think it could still be worth taking him. I just don't think there was ever any reason to to make that readjustment on the basis of Michelle. I thought the, the path was always there for Edmonds. Uh, but yeah, okay. the, the other running backs that kept, I hate everything. That, this is like the exact opposite of what I would have done. Keeping Gaskin and Salvana mid, even if you're keeping one of those two, the other is completely redundant to the first, and there's no reason to keep either of them. So um, I agree with you on Mostert, though. That guy can definitely run. I don't know how much he can take without getting hurt, but if he's upright, he can run. No, he, he absolutely can. And and again, you know, you're looking at an offense that, you know, should be playing to favorable run scripts with uh, guys like Hill and, and Waddle out there threatening defenses deep. You know, obviously not going to be running against a ton of loaded boxes, at least uh, we don't expect that to be the case. So, um, you know, that there there's some intrigue there at, at for Edmonds, obviously at, at ADP, ADP and then uh, Mostert, I, I think, as well uh, is pretty interesting. Uh, sticking in backfields, what did you make of Kansas City holding on to everybody? And and do you think that they make a move before the season starts? I don't know. I would have thought if there was a trade opportunity to move Ronald Jones, it would have been the Ravens because otherwise I don't really see. They wouldn't want to give him to the Chargers because then he's their problem. Uh, they, I think, might have given it to the Ravens. But if they're signing Kenyon Drake, I don't think the Ravens have any urgency to cough up whatever it would take to get Jones. And uh, I, I cannot claim to have any idea what the Chiefs are thinking. But personally, I think they they are not seeing the picture right if they ever wanted or considered moving on from Jones. Uh, I know he's limited as a pass catcher. I know he's not reliable in blitz pickup, but Ronald Jones can run. And this chiefs team needs to run more and run better than they have in years. Like they, they can't, they can't, or last year they couldn't even get, um, you know, Damian Williams, Spencer Ware level returns, even though we already know those guys are capable of it. And it's because Daryl Williams and Jarek McKinnon are so bad. And McKinnon, I, I don't know why it's so hard for people to remember uh, three games back, but because of him playing the two playoff games, which Clyde Edwards Hilaire had the busted shoulder and basically was not out there. Uh, people think Jarek McKinnon is good now, and he isn't. Even last year in the regular season, he was useless in the regular season. He averaged like 1.05 yards per snap or something like that. That is unacceptable. Daryl Williams was unacceptable too. He was like 1.78 or something, 1.8 maybe yards per snap. Guys like Jonathan Taylor averaged like 2.7 yards per snap from scrimmage and you got to get that over two at the running back position. You cannot have the, your running backs logging reps, uh, logging upwards of, you know, a thousand reps a year and getting you less than 1.7 yards per snap. Like you're going to have way too much slack. You're forcing Pat Mahomes to throw for like 5,700 yards, or you're going to have cold stretches as an offense. You're going to have the dysfunction that they had last year. So the cause of their defunct dysfunction was defenses responding to their downfield passing game by just forfeiting the underneath and giving them too high every single play. And Pat Mahomes sometimes had the restraint to take advantage of that, to take to take those wide-open Daryl Williams targets. You know, that, that Raiders game especially was just comical. Uh, just no defense. They said, we won't cover him. We won't cover him. And Mahomes still had some plays where he'd go back and he'd be like, oh, I, I don't want to take the easy eight. I got to get this guy open deep. I, I, I can almost see it. 
and it never was there because there was always two safeties not playing honest defense. They were just sitting back against the pass. So if you want to hurt a defense for doing that, you better be able to run. And they couldn't last year. Daryl Williams is a fullback. Jerry McKinnon is a mascot. They couldn't move the ball. So if Clyde Edwards-Hilaire can't be that guy, then they need to find someone who can be. And it makes a lot of sense to me to, to sign Marquez Valdez-Scantling to be a big slot for the reasons I've talked about before. It's like you keep the safety from playing too close. If they, if they want to, if you, if you trade Tyreek Hill and the defenses respond by quitting the too high, and now you're in a position where you can't burn them for it, then adding Marquez Valdez-Scantling makes a lot of sense because the safety still plays the too high look. You still keep them playing far back, and, and you can still you still have this advantageous run setup. Ronald Jones can capitalize on that look. Where Daryl Williams gets four yards, Ronald Jones can take it, you know, the whole distance basically. And uh, so you got Clyde Edwards-Helaire, who I, I still think is good, but it never made any sense at all to make him like a twenty carry, two catch running back. Like, what the hell are no. you thinking? That's exactly the opposite of what makes sense. He caught like fifty-eight passes, sixty passes last year at LSU. Give him those McKinnon passing down snaps. Make Clyde Edwards-Helaire useful by giving him fewer carries and give him those passing down snaps that McKinnon completely wasted. And then you can give those running down, those running play snaps to guys like Pacheco and Jones, who can probably, in my opinion, be as good as guys like Spencer Ware and Damian Williams. So I'm not all, I'm not like saying all wheels up for Ronald Jones because I happen to think Pacheco is pretty good. But Clyde Edwards-Helaire has shown the ability to break down after 12 or so carries per game. They need more than that. So if they don't think Pacheco can give them 12 to 15 carries per game reliably, then they need Jones to step up. And if Clyde Edwards-Hilaire gets hurt, which he has both of the past two years, then they just need Ronald Jones anyway. So I think Jones is worth holding on to. Pacheco's preferable, but uh, I think the Chiefs would be foolish to move him because I think they really might need him, especially in the second half of this year. Okay, so just kind of standing pad as far as your exposure to this backfield goes. It so no no real movement, if anything, maybe some some downward trajectory, just given how crowded it is. Um, I to me it's just it's as simple as like Clyde Edwards-Helaire is kind of in that like eighth round range, Pacheco in that like ten to twelve. I'll take Ronald Jones uh, anywhere from like the fifteenth onward now because, but you don't need to. I got him in like the eighteenth a couple times. I'll still take that because I mean, even if they even if they did cut him, I mean, 18th round running backs you're taking in best ball and things like that. Like, there are guys who are not even going to be in the CFL in two years, and and Ronald Jones, even if he gets cut, like he'll he'll you know he can be that stupid Lavian Bell Devontae Freeman scenario with the Ravens last year, you know. So uh, I think I think uh, all all of Claudio Soler, Pacheco, and Ronald Jones are worth taking at cost, although admittedly it's a lot easier to get Pacheco or Jones since they're you know three, four rounds cheaper. Right. No, exactly. McKinnon so is that... the one I don't care about. I don't think people mm-hmm. are, are thinking that one through at all. Like he played in the regular season. He did nothing until Clyde Edwards-Hilaire got hurt. But those playoff games, but those playoff games. Uh, so yeah, the, a tricky, a tricky backfield that, you know, I, I thought would, would get a little bit thinned out by, by this time, but um, obviously it did not end up being the case. Uh, before we get on to our next backfield, got a message from our friends over at Dynasty Owner. Do you love fantasy sports? Are you ready for a new challenge this year? Dynasty Owner is the new way to play fantasy football with real NFL salaries, adding the strategy of running an actual franchise. Dynasty Owner provides a unique and challenging experience that will test your skills as an owner and general manager. You will have complete control over your team's future. 
You can build through the draft, make trades, sign free agents, and manage your team's salary cap. Can you create a dynasty of champions? Sign up now at dynastyowner.com and use promo code ROTO5, that's R-O-T-O-5, to receive $5 off any new team. We also got a message from our friends over at Blue Wire. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. All right, we just touched on them briefly uh, just just a minute ago, but let, let's unpack it a little bit further as it pertains to the Baltimore Ravens. J.K. Dobbins uh, just not sounding awesome as far as his his week one availability, let or you know, let alone uh, him being up to to full strength. Um, you know, there, there's a lot of Twitter doctors out there to to be clear that are analyzing his you know tape from from these various drills and being like, oh, he doesn't look good, but I still am queasy at the idea of Dobbins being right week one, September, even maybe even all season. So uh, feeling bad about that one. However, uh, they, they do ha- they do go ahead and bring in Kenyon Drake, who was rela- released by the Raiders, uh, I believe, since we last talked. So what kind of function can Drake bring to the table here? as far as this Ravens offense is concerned and, and, you know, were you, were you also surprised a little bit that they were ready to uh, part ways with, with 2022 uh, draft pick Tyler Beatty already? Uh, I guess I was the tiniest bit surprised about Beatty just because I kind of forgot about justice Hill, but same. It makes justice Hill is definitely a way better prospect than Beatty was, even though Beatty's got some stuff going for him. And even though Hill has had, you know, a, star-crossed career to this point 
Mm-hmm. Um, he's he's uh, Hill can maybe help them though. I mean, if that Achilles is fine, he did start over Chris Carson as a true freshman at Oklahoma State, and you know, I think we could say Oklahoma State should have started Carson and still acknowledge that that's pretty impressive on Hill's part. So uh, Hill over Beatty makes sense, and especially since. They did get him to the practice squad, I think. So they were kind of, if that was part of their calculation, then they were correct. And, and they can bring back Beatty if they want to, hopefully. Uh, but yeah, it's Drake and Mike Davis is the tough part because um, I'm, and also Dobbins is also the tough part too, but I, I don't know. I, I feel like we, we don't have enough reliable information on Dobbins to be presuming anything in particular. And I, I really do mean that both ways. And uh I think with Gus Edwards being out for the first month, at least the Ravens, especially after last year are going to be very you know, sensitive to the, to the question of their running back depth. They know they need to run. They saw what happens last year. If they can't, it's like you got guys like Devonte Freeman, Tyson Williams, Labian bell at those stages of their careers. Anyway, if you're depending on them, you're just in trouble. So they want to go into it with more depth than that. They want to be prepared. Uh, they want, uh, to have the luxury of giving Dobbins fewer snaps in a game, I think, if if they get the opportunity. But what I can't see is them functioning as an offense without Dobbins. You know, I I just I think I don't know. I I if you made me guess, I would sooner say Dobbins does play in Week One, but just doesn't play more than like twenty five snaps or something like that. And then if they play sixty five, seventy snaps. They will want to have had Kenyon Drake and Mike Davis available to pick up, you know, upwards of 20 carries between themselves, uh, not each, but between the two. So I think I think they're trying to kind of like and they are going with an ongoing uh, they are an ongoing evaluation, too. It's like just because they're bringing in Drake doesn't mean they're going to build the offense around him, too. It's like we saw last year, they were bringing guys in and shuffling them out uh, unceremoniously. We may or may not see them give Drake a significant workload, uh, but I will say. I do think Drake has some running ability. I think he's he's one of these guys with incomplete skill sets and it's he's kind of goofy. Like he's not he's not a good enough as a runner to justify how bad he is as a passing down guy. But in the Ravens scheme, I mean we did just see washed up Devontae Freeman put up totally good numbers and not to take the credit away from Freeman, he did a good job or whatever, uh, considering what he had left. But Drake should be able to put up some numbers if they're giving him like fifteen carries in a game. The problem is I don't know if they're going to do that or if they're going to give, you know, eight to him, eight to Davis, eight to Hill, something like that. Uh, but, yeah, I, I Dobbins wise, I actually am getting curious to, to get my first shares of the year. Like I hadn't taken him before, not because I was worried about his health. Uh, it was it was actually like a I was wrong. Uh, I was right for the wrong reasons. Like I thought Gus Edwards was going to be back. And um, I still think he'll be back. I, I, I think the Ravens are in trouble if they can't get Edwards in October. But um, it, was, it wasn't that I was like, oh, I think Dobbins is going to miss time. Or like, oh, I think Dobbins isn't good enough. Like, I think Dobbins is a star waiting to happen. And um, if he goes falling into like the seventh or eighth rounds over this, I think it's a good time to get him for anyone who still has drafts left. Yeah, he he went in the late fifth of a 12-teamer um, in, the, in the pentathlon best ball. Uh, that's PPR. So I mean, I guess I need him bit... a little later than that, but I bet it's going to mm-hmm. happen, especially if if the tone sets in that just like oh, because th- this is how things work on Twitter now, and you know some sites this is a thing that becomes a suggestion or a fear becomes a fact very quickly when enough people repeat it. 
And I, I think there's also something to be said um, for maybe people overweighting week one as like the this you know game that means that counts more that than the rest of the of the games. So like it, you know if Dobbins is limited in week one, but he's like ready to rock. Uh, by week two, week three, then, you know, you end up getting a pretty nice, you know, value potentially if he ends up sliding into the sixth or or seventh round. But again, we will see. But it, I mean, it, the idea of him being limited for week one, I think, creates like a potentially a, a, an outsized uh, bit of panic. I don't know. They got to run a lot. And they know from last year that you can lose the things that you need to run effectively in, you know, a span of two days. So, they're 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 preparing depth and uh i don't think especially if someone's reasoning that dobbins must be in trouble because they kept hill and davis and pursued drake that would not be you need like inside info you need to talk to dobbins's trainer or whatever uh, and i haven't heard from him and i haven't seen anybody quoting him no I, I, nor have i so um you know tbd on that one and then do you, do you think drake can also kind of take on some of the pass catching work because you know again we, we talked was... about how bleak that pass catching group looks as a whole that's why it was so funny aside from just how bad the money was it was so funny that john gruden signed drake to be a pass catching specialist like that's not his thing he's 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 closer to that ronald jones category of like he can run not as well as jones by the way he can run but he can't like follow instructions or like be on a script and he can't do passing down stuff he's never been a good pass catcher and they were like, okay, we're we're gonna have you earn your nine million per year as like the as like the seventh highest paid running back. We're gonna make you earn your keep on passing downs, the thing you are worst at. Uh, anyway, I think if they have passing functions for the running backs in that offense, uh, not just Hill, but Davis is ahead of Drake. Okay, all right, that, that's good to know. I think some people might be might kind of make that uh, presupposition that that Drake can pick up some of that pass catching uh, work, but we say nay. Sucks at it. Yeah. <laughs> No bueno. Um, so uh, uh, before we get on over to our next uh, item, we're going to hit some Cardinals here in a moment. But uh, got a couple messages uh, starting things off with our friends over at Hoffer. Daily fantasy football fans, your dreams are about to come true. Tired of the same old player drafts and salary caps? Sick of losing to the Sharks and their little spreadsheets? Fed up with always playing against the house? Well, the solution is here. Hoffer Daily Fantasy Sports. That's H-O-F-R for Hoffer. On Hoffer, contests are always on your terms. Only fans create the contests and write the questions on Hoffer. Not only, not only that, but they set the terms too, including the entry fee, number of players, prize, and more. With over 12 different simple multiple choice gameplays, every fan can play and win their own way. So let your sports imagination run wild and rake in some serious dough in the process play for as low as one dollar and bank up to a fifty dollar bonus with your first deposit plus earn ten dollars with every friend you refer make your name known in the fantasy sports world on the largest growing peer-to-peer sports marketplace download hoffer again that's h-o-f-r it's the most versatile way to play and then we got a message from our friends over at Fantrax. Is there something you wish your fantasy leagues had or features that are missing from your current leagues? Bonus scoring, custom schedules or playoffs, deeper team settings? Well, look no further because we have you covered with our friends at Fantrax. Fantrax is the most customizable fantasy platform in the industry, offering the greatest fantasy experience for your dynasty keeper, redraft, and best ball leagues. Join MLB All-Star Jock Peterson 
who recently announced he's moving his fantasy leagues to Fantrax. And Fantrax is excited to announce the Fantrax Game Day Experience Giveaway. Fantrax will be sending one lucky fantasy football league to a regular season NFL game of their choice along with $6,000 towards travel and accommodations. All you have to do is enter the giveaway and create a join or join a league on Fantrax. The more leagues you create and join, the more chances you have to win. There's a reason why fantasy players who try Fantrax make it the permanent home for all their fantasy leagues. Go to Fantrax.com slash RotoWire and sign up today. All right, Mario, onward. So some some news and notes came out of Arizona. I believe it was Wednesday. Looked like a handful of their players are dealing with, with some uh, unspecified injuries. I guess not not necessarily in um, in the case of Zach Ertz, but Rondale Moore looks like to be a bit of a question mark heading into week one. Uh, Zach Ertz, I think, might be a close call as well. So you, your thoughts on those guys and, and the rest of Arizona as, you know, they're, they're already going to be a little bit shorthanded early in the season with, with obviously uh, DeAndre Hopkins being suspended for the first six weeks of the season. Can they afford to have guys like Ertz and, and Moore sidelined? I guess not. I mean, we'll see. They do have some tight end depth more than they probably should, given the contract that they gave Ertz this offseason. But they got Trey McBride. I happen to think Max Williams can play a little bit, and he's still hanging around. So uh, I think they'll, if they can run, they'll be fine. And they, they do get some good run setups because uh, when you run that four wide stuff, it's not like the defense is going to respond with a 4-3 alignment. They're going to put out you know corners. They're going to put six cor- uh, four corners on the field. And uh, those guys, especially that fourth corner, might be south of 190. So granted, Marquise Brown is not blocking anybody. But Correct. if they get, you know, if they if they just if they go four wide, they get quirky little setups like, you know, Antoine Wesley matched up against a five ten guy and stuff like that, that uh, when you run it and if you got a good runner like James Conner and, and if the defense is playing with wide splits in the front four because of the Kyler Murray bootleg threat, then they can run the ball pretty well. And if, if McBride can step up, that'd be great. Max Williams, of course. So uh Granted, uh, or with that said, we'll have to see what these guys are actually dealing with because Cliff Kingsbury is saying they're, you know, questionable for Week One right now, uh, at least in the absence of some sort of like week-to-week prognosis. Uh, if, if he, if if Rondell Moore had a high ankle sprain and they were like, he's questionable for Week One, I'd be like, oh yeah, he sure is. But when I'm just relying on Cliff Kingsbury's takes when he doesn't even really seem to be thinking much about the answers, I I don't know. I'm not I'm not planning on anything in particular as it relates to Moore or Ertz at this point. I guess I'm sooner assuming they'll be out there. Uh, but yeah, if uh, if Ertz is out and if, if especially if Rondale's out too, Marquise Brown might have to get like 14 targets in week one if that happens. Do you think AJ Green might be a little bit interesting for DFS that week? Yeah, I mean, he's he's not himself, but he's better than some other players who are going to play wide receiver snaps this year. So especially with Hopkins out, especially uh, if you put Marquise Brown and A.J. Green on the same side of the defense, the safety is only running with Brown. And uh, not that they would have bracketed A.J. Green if not, but sometimes you'd, you'd have a safety drifting over to his side just because there's too, you know, too high kind of thing. And uh, maybe Brown's or sorry, maybe Green's the only guy on his side of the field. So he, he probably sees a little you can set up some scenarios where he gets freed up is the thing. And they might 
concurrently have the need to do that. Like they might need to set up some AJ uh, AJ Green looks uh, because you know maybe they are doubling Brown effectively. Maybe they are just sitting too high and they're not giving them anything deep, and they need to start moving the chains, keeping the ball from the from the other team for a while. AJ Green can can make those you know sideline one on one catches, and uh, since he goes in the last round of best ball drafts, I've taken him quite a few times. Uh, that may or may not be because I've also taken DeAndre Hopkins lots of times, and I, I'm kind of reasoning like, oh, he'll hopefully bridge me over those first six weeks a little tiny bit. Uh, but yeah, AJ AJ Green can at once be toast and probably is, and still a, a relative fantasy uh, value, especially in best ball, since you don't need to have the uh, belligerent courage to put him in your starting lineup there. Yeah, no, exactly. So I, I've gotten a decent amount of best ball exposure for for AJ Green as well under under those same you know premises. Just assuming you know with, with Hopkins being out, um, you know he he's a guy that that's unique relative to guys like Rondale Moore and Marquise Brown who are you know smaller in stature, do different things on the field. AJ Green, I think, can still like you like you alluded to, uh, still win on on the outside a little bit, still win those one on one battles um, on the sidelines. So. Vague interest again, you know, he's he's a guy that you, you scoop late, you know, may, maybe the last receiver, second to last receiver that, that you end up taking in, in an 18 or 20 uh, team or 20 round right. uh, type of league. Yes. Um, speaking of, uh, let's transition on over to, to best ball. Um, so uh, I am participating uh, once again in, in Derek Van Riper's fantasy football pentathlon. It, it, as you can imagine, it is a five legged uh, event that measures the true metal of a fantasy football player. So there is a best ball uh, leg of it that we're going to get into here. There is a super flex auction where you also start two tight ends. Uh, we are not going to get into, into that one because that was a, uh, that was a tricky one that, that I had to navigate uh, last night. And then there's also a DFS component. There's a spread picks component and a survivor component as well. But this is a, this is a great one. We we are drafting on best ball ten. So again, that that's a full point PPR. I had some anxiety going into this one just because I didn't know what the draft order was going to be. There was no KDS or anything like that, and you know, uh, just kind of by luck of the draw, a lot this this draft season, I've had a lot of picks in the in the top five. So my strategy has kind of been baked into my head that way, you know, because I, I've run through that scenario so many different times, but I was definitely concerned about what I was going to do if I drew uh, like the sixth pick or later. So I was able to to get the second pick. I went ahead and, and locked in Jonathan Taylor. But before we kind of get into my team a little bit more, how have you been approaching your, your draft slots if you're picking outside the top five when it, when it comes to your first round targets? Well, uh, let's see. I basically would take either a running back or receiver and – the running backs, let's see, usually Henry and Eckler go by like five, six, seven, something like that. So if we're counting late first as like eight or later, then realistically, there are two running backs that I'm considering. Uh, there is a third and others, even the, the other guys that go a little later. But it's it's Dalvin Cook and Joe Mixon that stand out to me at running back because I just think Dalvin is clearly like a top five running back and all the other guys who are, who are within a whiff of like top five consideration at running back tend to go earlier than him. I don't even really know the basis for him going behind a guy like Eckler in the first place. And I love Eckler, but I, I just don't really, and I'm, I'm also paranoid about Dalvin cook's shoulder and probably sure. everything else. But I just, when you, the logic that says, you know, take Christian McCaffrey first overall, because if he doesn't get hurt, 
he's going to be the first player. If we apply that to Dalvin Cook, then he should probably be going like fourth or something, you know, behind Jonathan Taylor, basically, uh, wherever that is. So I like Dalvin Cook, risky as he is. Um, I think Alexander Madison is usually he's cheaper this year by quite a bit. I feel like I feel like he might he's like two or three rounds cheaper than he was the last couple of years. So you can get Madison cheap enough that it's almost worth taking him as a handcuff on a cook squad because it's like handcuffing is not great, I guess. But if the alternative is between like from Alexander Madison and the 12th, if the alternative is just like Tyler Algier or something, like then just take Madison, even if it's technically a handcuff. But So that's affordable and, and appealing to me. Nixon, not nearly as talented as cook, but in a better offense, maybe a lot better offense. And so if he's getting 20 carries and three catches and, the, the Bengals offense, I barely care what his name is. So Mixon doesn't need to be as good as Cook to be close. But other than those two, and Saquon Barkley, I think projection-wise is in that range for me. I'd just never take him there because you usually don't need to. He usually goes three or four more picks, and you can usually get him in the second. Um, so in practice, I end up taking Dalvin Cook, Joe Mixon, or one of the three receivers, CeeDee Lamb, Stephon Diggs, and Devontae Adams. Uh, that's pretty much how I play the the last four, five picks of the first round. Yeah, Adams w- was going to be my target, especially in, in this format. Uh, if we were picking a little bit later, I would have taken him as probably as early as nine, which is uh, actually where Stefan Diggs went uh, to noted Bills fan uh, Tim Schuler. Um, so fi- pick. You know, fair enough. I don't know how to separate those guys. I just put them as like one third, one third, one third, because it's impossible, I think, to c- tell who's going to be the best of them. Yeah, very, very tricky. I mean, it, you know, it feels, you know, we'll, we'll know that that one of those guys ended up missing, but uh, it feels like it. I bet they're all going to be pretty. I mean, I think injury is the only thing that can stop any of those three. Yeah, no, I think that, I think that's a, a fair summation there. Um, one pick uh, or one guy that you didn't mention uh, in that range that did go pretty early first round pick. I, I don't think I've seen him go this high, but again, best ball swinging for the fences a little bit. DeAndre Swift. Went seventh overall in this one. I had a, there was one underdog draft that I did like a month ago where someone took him like second. Uh, I believe on NFFC he goes between like 10 and 14 usually. Seven is a little early. I get the appeal. I just think that the premises are wrong. I don't think there's like I was, you know, we were both, I, I think, among the people who were like, why the hell is everyone letting DeAndre Swift fall to the third round last year? Like last year we mm-hmm. had people being like, oh, you, ha. You don't know that the new regime signed Jamal Williams, and you think DeAndre Swift is going to be a good third round pick, do you? Uh, so, like, we were we were the people who said, yeah, he will. Um, I don't it's think true. I don't think I'm in a I don't think I can muster the courage though to say he's worth a first rounder this year. I, I get it if he if he does play 17 games or sorry, six, yeah, 17 games, then I guess I I, I guess I'm like, yeah, Swift probably raked then because you know I certainly think he's good. Uh, the offensive line is maybe the best in the league. Uh, if he added a little mass that, you know, helps his durability, that'd be great. I don't know what to make of that person. It's not, it's not like DeAndre Swift was ever like out of shape. He was always really muscly and stuff. So uh, I did see like the stuff about him adding some upper body weight. I, I would prefer lower body weight, honestly, but uh, whatever. I, I don't, I don't, as long as he didn't like gain so much weight that he's hurting his, you know, ligaments and his legs, uh, it, it shouldn't really matter either way but i i can't buy in the idea that like five more pounds of bicep mass is gonna make him more durable or anything so if i think he's capped at a certain usage rate then i don't think he can reach 
a good return at this price because the way Austin Eckler makes it work as a 12 carry five catch guy is by playing in a Chargers offense that gives him 20 touchdowns from scrimmage in 15 games. So if the Lions offense scores that many points, then maybe the same result is possible. But I, uh, for some reason, just don't think it is. I just can't imagine Jared Goff uh, scoring quite as many points as Justin Herbert. Well, you know, going back to Swift uh, for a second, you know, perhaps the the addition of five pounds to to his biceps is just a, a nod to his former Georgia teammate uh, Elijah Holyfield, who famously yeah. had and his gigantic dad. biceps. Yeah, not Elijah, not Holyfield's dad, uh, but uh, DeAndre Swift's. Uh, uh, that guy must be like some kind of like deadlift enthusiast or something yeah he he's a hoss i, I know you know for, from hard knocks this year which has been the best hard knocks i, I feel like i dan i can campbell. remember um man, yeah man dan, campbell. dan campbell is so fun but um <laughs> you know that there's a big segment on the second episode about uh, equinemia saint or uh, i'm on ross saint brown's uh dad and and uh lifting with them but yeah swift's dad uh also a uh, big Big dude. Man, um, how did they not? Uh, yeah, they should have had a Amon Ra's dad, uh, John Brown, and mm-hmm. uh, the the DeAndre Swift dad should have just had to do some kind of like two twenty five bench press competition or something. HBO, uh, you know what? HBO's got a whole bunch of stuff going on, and they they, they clearly uh, missed a big opportunity there. Um, but we'll keep it going here. Um, speaking of Swift, or one last thing on Swift, Julia does want to know, ETN. Or Swift, better best ball option. Uh well, they go quite a bit apart. I think you, uh, what would it be? It's like ETN tends to go around like the third, fourth round turn, something like that, and Swift always goes around the first, second round turn. So um, there's no need to take ETN where you would have to take Swift. Like you could just get both of them, but yeah, it's like you you just got to decide: do I want to take the first round running back or the third? You know, not not. Not necessarily three twelve or three eleven. Uh, he he doesn't necessarily fall that far. But if you can get ETN there, that's great. Uh, with Swift, you will always have like a four pick window to, to make the call, and you can't really get him any later. But uh, I have them projected basically the same. I don't think anyone else on the planet does. But uh, I, I'm much higher on ETN than most people, clearly. Yes, and actually, that this pairs up nicely because I uh, selected ETN in the early third round of this draft that took him uh, 3.2. Um, and, and it kind of goes with the a ongoing quandary that I've had from picking from the two or three slot a, a lot this off season where I just, it feels ungreat uh, to, to go ahead and take like Mike Evans to me for, for some reason that early in the third round. And I don't want to always, yeah, he's a, he's a little better on underdog because that half point PPR turns to his advantage given the touchdown production. Yeah, no, I, I, absolutely. So, like, I, I, I never fully sell myself on, on uh, Evans at, at that stage of the draft. And, like, I'm not going to reach necessarily for Keenan Allen, even if he is better suited for, for PPR. Uh, Michael Pittman, I, I like Michael Pittman, but, but not out. as a mid, mid-third. mid Yeah, that just seems like a, a bit much. Uh, Mike Williams, I, I think I consider. And then, you know, DJ Moore is someone that I want to get more shares of, but, but he ideally to me is like a, like a early fourth round guy, as opposed to someone that you're taking in the early third. So uh, in the interest of just not getting another Kyle Pitts or Mark Andrews share, I think I'm kind of maxed out there. I went with ETN. I I do feel good about it. And you know, that there's a risk there because we we've talked about throughout the course of, of our like draft podcasts, um, 
our, our respective tight end strategy. And it's a lot of pits or a lot of waiting. So yeah. that kind of steered me towards hitting a, a more mid-tier option. Or Kittle's not a, a mid-tier guy necessarily, but um, I ended up getting a, a share of him in, in redraft. I only have a, a dynasty share, or only did have a dynasty share until this one. So I took George Kittle um, in the fifth round. Um, that, that did kind of necessitate taking his second tight end a little bit earlier than I normally would just because of the, the injury insurance. But I do feel like Kittle in the fifth, made some sense what uh where are you on that one yeah i mean i love kittle i i do worry a little tiny bit in ppr just because i think he might have a weird season where he has a career low in targets and catches but a career high in touchdowns so it, i kind of view almost kittle as like the mike evans at tight end this year where uh in half point ppr i think he gains ground on waller really quickly but i worry about ppr uh, Kittle having something like 20 fewer catches than Waller, even if he stays healthy. So I'm, I'm not drawn toward him as much as Waller, but I do think uh, in your position of, like you said, already having substantial Andrews and Pitts exposure, uh, it makes sense to get something on Kittle or Waller because I never, as a Pitts super fan, as, as someone who takes Pitts like a third of the time or more, I never wanted to fade Waller and Kittle exactly. It's just more of a thing like it sucks so much when I don't get any of those guys. And I, and I don't – it doesn't always suck. I mean, I, I am high on Albert Equigwinum. I think uh, even if Nathaniel Hackett is a moron, I, I don't know <laughs> if he can screw this up. And I absolutely think Hackett's a moron. But it sucks so much when you don't get one of Pitts or uh, Kittle or Waller. And it's really easy to be sitting there in that third round uh, wherever it is in the third round, pass on pits, get to your fourth rounder. It's like, okay, well, it's not, it's a little too early now still to take one of the Kittle or Waller tight ends. So you get to the fifth round, you, you try to take it into the fifth and it's really easy to lose both of them in the time in between. So I, I just know from specific memory that I have had best ball drafts where I was, I was like, oh, I can't take pits again. And then I, I, you know, take whoever I do there. And I end up, with some tight, I end up going Albert Equigwinum again because I I, mm-hmm. I can't quite land the Kittle or Waller spot even though I want to. It's like I, I plan on it and I specifically target them and it just doesn't quite line up. So it's it's like it's one of those things like I I am not nearly so much higher on Pitts than than Waller and Kittle as my ownership percentage would my exposure percentages would say. But that's more because it's like I'm not so much picking Pitts over them that emphatically as much as I'm like. I'm just so loath to end up with none of them, which is really easy to do if you take it into the fifth. But um, in any case, I like the Kittle pick, and um, I, th- I think he, I, th- I think he could have a career high in touchdowns because I, I think Lance, Lance is going to make it really tough to defend Kittle. I mean, I know the defense is still going to have to care about Kittle and, and Debo, and they're never going to not pay attention to them. But the kind of rush threats that Lance poses, it's, um. I don't know. It's it's like you're 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 just as a defense going to have to let them have some plays. Like you're going to have to guess at the point of attack, at the point of like the play development, one way or the other, and just pray that you're right. Because uh, otherwise, you you leave yourself open to both of them, and that obviously won't work either. But you you can't spread yourself enough, uh, thick enough, you know, to to account truly for everything. And I could see Kittle. I don't know if he if he gets to 80 catches, I love his chances for like 12 touchdowns because basically I think Lance is going to decrease the target volume for everybody, but he'll get them into scoring position more reliably than Garoppolo did. And I Mm -hmm. Kittle, you know, being 
arguably their best threat from scrimmage. He could be the guy who capitalizes if that happens. Yeah, I think I think so too. So you know, I, I didn't want to wait much longer on on tight end. It, it was between him and Waller, and and you know, obviously, really good case for for Waller, um, especially in PPR. But um, still went the Kittle route and uh, feel good about it. And then in the sixth, uh, this one, th- maybe I'm I'm buying the helium. Maybe that this ends up being a, a fish pick or a fish brained pick, but. Even with two two running backs already through five rounds, we went ahead and, and pulled pulled the pin on one Damian Pierce. So as a late sixth round target, thoughts there? Well, I wouldn't have taken him over Josh Jacobs, but I definitely like Pierce, and I don't think he goes much later than that at this point. So I don't think it was like in terms of the current market, I, I don't think it's like a reach by much, if at all. Right. So, um. It was one of those things, like, if you wanted him, you'd, it was that point that you pretty much had to make the call. So those situations are what they are. Uh, I So, like, in my position, not, you know, saying the obvious, I probably would have tried to, like, wait a little bit and just take uh, Rashad Penny, Antonio Gibson, or Corderell Patterson. But if those guys are not good this year, then Pierce would basically be the pivot that I wish I would have wished I had made. And... um I'm still a little worried about Rex Burkhead taking pretty much all the passing down stuff. Uh, I think Pierce is a good enough player from scrimmage that the Texans could do a thing anyway, where uh, Burkhead's basically the passing down guy, but a couple times a game, maybe they put Pierce out there and, in, in a, you know, what might look like a run heavy look. And they, they set up some kind of like misdirection screen pass to get him the ball in space uh, without making him meet the certain, uh, Normally, to run the kind of like base function routes that Burkhead does, you have to convince the coaches that you will basically never screw up in blitz pickup. But Mm -hmm. there might be a way for the Texans to get Pierce some targets, uh, manufactured targets, basically, where they can get him on the field for the target without making him prove himself as a pass blocker. But if he does at some point prove himself as a pass blocker, then, yeah, he could be, you know, a 40, 45 snap player. And if he reaches that, threshold we don't really even care which team he plays for so uh, the Texans being a bad offense uh, you know it's only so much of a point to make when when if if Pierce reaches a certain level of, of snaps per game no exactly like there's they will still generate yards like even if it's it's a ugly ugly offense um you know that carries and yardage still need to uh be accrued. And I like Pierce. I think I think his talent from scrimmage is pretty clear. It's like the only question I have is like how much can he take before he starts to burn himself out? Like he might hit that rookie wall. His highest uh, touch from scrimmage count I think was 129 in college. Mm-hmm. So he if if the Texans are going to work him like they're kind of indicating they might, he could get to that point in like I don't know like seven weeks or something. Uh, whereas he's never gone over that point in 12 or more games in college. Right, exactly. Yeah, so the, a bit of a limited sample as far as like him being a true uh, workhorse is concerned. So we, did, we really just don't know one way or the other if, if he's going to be able to, to handle that. But a certain amount, and we're about to find out how much. Exactly, exactly. And, and at, at that point of the draft, it was basically uh, the, the other per- – so I'm picking second, right? So uh, the person on the wheel – only had one running back at that point. So I figured if I let Pierce go at that stage, I wouldn't get him back three picks later um, because I, I just figured, you know, in maybe incorrectly, maybe not um, that, that um, 
the team picking first uh, would have scooped Pierce. So it was it was either take Joe sure Burrow for sure. I mean, they took running backs with uh, two of their next three picks. So. Yeah. So so I think, you know, theoretically, I, m- I might have read that one correctly, but it was either take Joe Burrow and end up with a Josh Jacobs or CEH or take Damian Pierce, wait a little bit and grab quarterback later. And that that's the route that I ended up choosing. So after Pierce grabbed Hunter Renfro um, and then as some durability uh, insurance to Kittle, I went ahead and got Dawson Knox. I know we, we've maligned Knox plenty of times on, on this pod and eighth round is probably, you know, it is fair uh, as far as like what, where his ADP uh, goes, but I, I saw the cliff coming uh, as far as the other tight ends available. Uh, we're concerned uh, with Hawkinson already being off the board. So it was, it was going to be either Knox Ertz with the with those reports yesterday that kind of moved me off of him or, or Fryermuth, and I'm not taking Fryermuth over Knox necessarily. So I wanted to lock that in and feel decent about my tight end too, despite investing you know a fifth round pick in, in my first one in Kittle. Yeah, I guess Knox at that point. I mean, I don't know. I, I'm lower on Knox than most people, and higher I know Quagbinum and David and Joku than most people. So I prefer those guys. Uh, I, I would say Knox has. His like unique function, uh, unique utility is that he's a touchdown threat because he's, you know, a big athletic guy playing a lot of snaps in an offense where we have a quarterback who's throwing you know, 35, 40 touchdowns or whatever. So that nine touchdowns on 50 catches or whatever he had last year is at once repeatable, but also, you know, as far as repeatable probabilities go, still relatively fragile. Like he could, sure. he could catch. 20 touchdowns in the next three years and only catch three this year, you know? So uh, just because of, you know, the way the ball bounces sometimes. So I'm, I'm not as high on Knox in this format as in standard scoring or half point PPR, because I feel like he is more of a, a touchdown guy than a catch one and, and, and full point PPR and then, and uh, best ball tens. Like sometimes you can get some, sometimes the best easy production that you get is just finding mediocre players who get a bunch of targets. And um, I, I think, a player like Cole commit would come to mind as far as that goes in this format. Like I would probably wait on him like two rounds later, or uh, like I said, I, I obviously go a lot of Oquegunum and, and Njoku I think is being overlooked, but if, as far as the touchdown probability between any of those guys, it's probably Knox who would have the highest uh, over under. So I, I just felt like, you know, in, in the case of Knox within, you know, the framework of this team, I'm only, Ideally, I'm only counting on Knox, you know, three, four times this entire season, yeah. if that, you know, with, with Kittle taking over, you know, most of my tight end scoring, you know, save for his bye week. But I, I, I was just kind of assuming that there's probably going to be a time this season where, where Kittle misses a little bit. Just he he plays like he's in a mosh pit, so he's going to get banged up at some point. Um, and Knox, it felt, it felt like, you know, his role is is very secure. Bill score a lot of touchdowns. Maybe I, you know, it, it just lines up to where I I have to use him on weeks where he does It'd end be up really finding great the end if zone. He could, uh, if he could have like a multi-touchdown game when Kittle, uh, you know, when when Trey on the games where Trey Lance throws fifteen passes or or where Kittle, you know, gets hurt or whatever. That's what that's when I'll do the like the A team meme where I just like uh, light a cigar and it's like that. I love it when a plan comes together, you know. Yeah, That'd and uh, the Forty Niners might have a couple things like that, you know, not a not a Mac Jones in Buffalo game, but they might have one where it's just kind of like, wow, we we threw ten passes and somehow we have forty points. What happened? Yeah. 
<laughs> oh man. Uh, never forget that, that, uh, Buffalo New England game. That was, uh, something to behold. Um, and then, uh, rounding it out, uh, took Aaron Rodgers as, as my quarterback one. Um, I, I think, uh, Derek Carr would have made some sense as well, given that I already had Hunter Renfro, but Rodgers, I, I think, where he went uh, was a fine enough pick. And I'm a little bit scared of Stafford this year, just with the elbow and the overall injury concern that, that he's shown over the years. Yeah, I'm, I would probably have taken Carr, but uh, I would be surprised if that uh, question, the Rogers versus Carr question, were the basis of you either uh, cashing or failing. It, it, that would be a long shot, I think. Yeah, I, I believe so. Um, as well. Um, anything else uh, on your mind fr- from this week uh, before next week where we're introducing uh, week one of the NFL season, looking at that um, Bills-Rams game to get us started on that Thursday night? Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I just, I, I guess I, as I do every year, see a lot of people overreacting to preseason, and I would encourage them to try to remember what things they believed you know, six weeks ago and then compare them to what they believe now and see if they can really justify the distinction and see if they can really specifically remember why they changed their minds. Because I think a lot of people would be surprised to to see how often they can't really seem to remember what it was that they thought changed, you know? So uh, I see stuff like George Pickens going way ahead of Chase Claypool and stuff like that. And I love Pickens, but, um, you really should just make your projections before training camp and preseason and alter them on the basis of solid role changes. You know, it's like if I project, I project or, or just, you know, injuries that have clearly happened, you know, it's like if I projected Tim Patrick to have certain something, then I got to put those numbers on those other guys, but I'm not going to invert my understanding of the Pittsburgh wide receiver rotation because George Pickens caught a touchdown uh, in the second quarter of, you know, the second preseason game or something. Also knocked a guy over uh, run blocking. And Pickens is sick. And and, I mean, we've been banging the drum. We we can take this kind of license, I think. But uh, yeah, the idea that at the very least, what I mean to say is if someone believes Pickens is better than, than Claypool, they should have been able to convince themselves before they saw the highlight clips. Like there's nothing George Pickens did in training camp or preseason. That's more important than what he did at Georgia. Or, or different, really. Right. In this case, it's no different. But there are there are some cases where it's like people, uh, you know, start to completely reconsider, reconfigure their definitions of who these players are. And it's like Pickens should have been a first round pick. But even so, he's uh, what, like three years younger than Claypool. He's no faster than Claypool, even though Claypool's 30 pounds heavier. It's like that stuff, you know, matters and the quarterback sucks. So I, I can understand using Pickens as a basis to be off Claypool. But taking Pickens in like the eighth round, like I've been seeing, that's I love the guy. But um, buy him after the dip next year when we're doing there's going to be this thing next year where people are going to be like, oh, another George Pickens, another George Pickens, because he only will have like 600 yards this year. And they they thought he was going to be like a 1200 yarder. It's like you just you just got to learn to understand what matters and what doesn't. And uh, preseason does not matter. Or maybe I'm remembering wrong and Terrace Marshall had a huge rookie year and Jamar Chase is a bust. I can't, I can't yeah. remember which, which way that one turned out. Um, yeah. Some preseason scholar remind me if you can. Oh, that they uh, certainly will. Yeah, very vocal and very you know humble about their, their mistakes uh, based on uh, preseason. Uh, but that's going to wrap things up for us here at the Rotowire. 
Fantasy Football Podcast. Uh, again, presented to you by our friends over at Dynasty Owner. From Mario Puig, I'm John McKechnie. Thanks for listening. And next week, we'll catch you. Week one. We're almost there. Try RotoWire today, free for 10 days. Get our premium tools, rankings, analysis, and breaking news alerts. No credit card required. Go to rotowire.com forward slash try. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.